Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome once more to a podcast from Cleveland Clinic Electrophysiology. I am Osama Wazni, the section head of EP here at the Cleveland Clinic, and today I'm joined with Dr. Walid Saliba, who is the director of the EP lab and director of Atrial Fibrillation Center, Dr. Mohamed Kanj, who is the co-director of the EP lab, and Dr. Tyler Tagan, who is the director of the outpatient department and also director of our quality outcomes uh, program here at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We will be talking today about left atrial appendage closure uh, in the setting of atrial fibrillation and patients who cannot tolerate oral anticoagulation. Uh, Walid, could you tell us uh, just briefly what are the indications, the current indications for left atrial appendage closure? Sure. So uh, left atrial appendage closure um, is a procedure that has specific indications uh, currently in the U.S., it is indicated for patients who have what we call non-valvular atrial fibrillation, meaning that atrial fibrillation that is not due to mitral valve stenosis and does not do, these patients do not have mechanical mitral valve. So in patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation who are indicated for anticoagulation, this means that they have a risk of stroke uh, based on a certain risk factor scale that we have that we call the CHADS-VASC score, if the risk of stroke is significant that warrants anticoagulation, they need to be on oral anticoagulation. But for some reason, which is usually bleeding or risk of bleeding, they cannot be on long-term oral anticoagulation. So those patients are at risk of having a stroke. They need to be on anticoagulation, but cannot take it. Therefore, closing the left atrial appendage in those patients will reduce the risk of stroke without the need to be on long-term oral anticoagulation. So basically, it's an alternative for oral anticoagulation in patients who have risk of bleeding or already had a major bleed. Could you just please expand for us on what the CHADS-VASC score is? Because I'm sure a lot of our patients and even some physicians are asking, this CHADS-VASC score is something of a black box. Could you expand on that, please, for us? Sure. So the CHADS-VAS score is a clinical scale that evaluates the risk of stroke that a patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillations uh, have. And it's a mnemonic. So um, CHADS-VAS, the C, the H, and what have you, each one is for a certain uh, disease or clinical entity. Um, most importantly is age, usually more than 65. It gives you a point of one, more than 75, two points. Gender female get a point of one, they are at high risk. The presence of heart failure, the presence of vascular disease, a prior history of stroke, a history of hypertension, as well as history of diabetes mellitus. So these are risk factors. You get a, a points for each one of these risk factors. And then uh, based on the total scale or the, to the total uh, score, uh, we evaluate what is your uh, risk, yearly risk of stroke. Are these the only thing? No, there are some other risk factors that we look at as clinicians, but this is what is readily available in the clinic uh, as far as we're concerned. So to simplify, just for those of you with a good memory, C is for congestive heart failure, H is for hypertension, A is for age, D is for diabetes, S is for stroke, 
and VASC is for vascular disease and S also is for sex, usually female gender. So that, there you go, you have the CHADS VASC score. And, um, and based on that, if you have a score of two or more, you're supposed to be on a blood thinner or an anticoagulant in the presence of atrial fibrillation to prevent stroke. If it is one, you can do nothing, take aspirin or oral anticoagulation. I frankly prefer an oral anticoagulant. And if the CHADVAS score is zero, then uh, usually the answer is nothing, not to take anything. So basically now then we've established that somebody who has CHADVAS score is two or higher, and they should be on a blood thinner, but cannot because of bleeding problems, then they're indicated for left atrial appendage closure. All right, so now the patients uh, come to you, Dr. Saliba, and say, I, I, I want this watchman, I can't take a blood thinner uh, or a left atrial appendage closure, and I can't take a blood thinner. Um, uh, are, are you able or are we able now to provide this therapy with no anticoagulation at all, no background anticoagulation at all, or do they need to be on a blood thinner for a certain period of time? So th that is a good question because uh, traditionally with the first device that we had on the market, which is the Watchman device, the recommendation was that the patient needs to be on oral anticoagulant for a short period of time. Usually it's for 45 days after the implant, following which we do an imaging procedure to make sure that the device is well in place and well sealed. And if that is the case, then we would stop the oral anticoagulant. So for the Watchman device, current indications and recommendation is that you need to be able to take oral anticoagulant for a short period of time, that 45 days. And in our experience, even though patients have had contraindications or relative contraindications to being on long-term oral anticoagulation, giving them short-term oral anticoagulation is feasible and not necessarily risky. And this has been based on our experience. With the new AMOLED device that is on the market, with that device, um, you do not need to be on oral anticoagulant following the procedure, but yet still you need to be on what we call dual antiplatelet therapy, which is Plavix and aspirin. Uh, that is not to say that the risk of bleeding is significantly less compared to oral anticoagulant. There is still an ongoing risk of bleeding that usually for a short period of time is acceptable for those procedures. Very good. So uh, the main reason to stay on an oral anticoagulant for these six weeks after implantation is so that there is something called endothelialization where the patient's own tissue grows over the device. And this is important because of an issue with the clots forming on the device, otherwise called as DRT or device-related thrombus. And that's a problem because then we have to extend the period of uh, giving anticoagulation so that that can resolve. Now, are there any new developments, Dr. Saliba, that maybe uh, will help us avoid oral anticoagulation uh, altogether after we implant a device? So as, as Dr. Wozni said, th this is really the Achilles heel, if you want, of uh, those devices. Every time you put foreign material or metal uh, in the vascular space, you, there is a certain risk of forming a clot. And this is why we have to give that uh, either anticoagulant or antiplatelet therapy to try to mitigate as much as possible formation of clot on those devices. Now, there are also uh, certain, um, uh, certain research that we are involved with uh, trying to 
I would say, coat the device or the fabric that is on the device to reduce as much as possible the risk of these clotting from uh, forming. Um, we are currently conducting some research, um, both uh, in the anim still in the animal uh, stage, looking at what is it that increases the risk of clot formation. And with these new coatings or these new devices, uh, are we essentially reducing the risk of clot formation? And the results so far are very encouraging, hopefully to be able to put those devices in the future without the need of blood thinning medication thereafter. So it looks like it's conceivable we will reach a stage where we'll have a device where we do not need to uh, use anticoagulants in, in these patients. And that's very important uh, because some of our patients uh, have significant bleeding issues. All right, uh, now Dr. Kanj, who is our um, director, co-director of the EP lab, uh, could you tell us um, if we are able to do a left atrial appendage closure at the time of um, atrial fibrillation ablation and who is the ideal patient for this procedure? Um, this is an excellent question. I mean, it's not uncommon that we have patients who may need atrial fibrillation ablation, but at the same time, they have some concerns about taking oral anticoagulation or vice versa, especially that, you know, the procedure where we close the left atrial appendage is technically uh, shares a lot of the steps with an ablation procedure. So here at the Cleveland Clinic, we've had a good um, experience so far with doing concomitant procedures. We've been doing that for the past almost uh, six years, and we've had uh, great track records with excellent safety and efficacy of uh, both of these procedures being done at the same time. I think this is one of the, uh, I think we are probably the few centers, if not the biggest center in the U.S. who perform both of the procedures at the same time. The advantages is patients could have both things done in one visit, uh, the ablation at the same time as closing the left atrial appendage. In this way, we hope that for a patient getting, taking care of the atrial fibrillation, but at the same time, being able to come off oral anticoagulation after two to three months after doing the concomitant procedure. So could you tell us about how many we've done so far? So we have done a, around 300 uh, plus patients. And uh, so far, some of these patients, we and 150 of them, we've had more than a, uh, a year good, excellent follow-up uh, with very, very low complication rate. We did not see that uh, doing both procedures will increase the uh, complication rate significantly, right. but we're getting, uh, in fact, good results, excellent results. I think this is the highest uh, single center experience uh, in the world. I mean, there's some pooled data from other places, but I don't think that a single center has been able to achieve uh, this number. So that's, uh, that's a great testament to the teamwork that we do here uh, at, at, at the clinic, because this also involves a clinical cardiologist, an imaging cardiologist, their, their own patient's physician, and our team uh, here at the Cleveland Clinic. And we look forward to seeing you in the next uh, podcast from Cleveland Clinic Electrophysiology. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheartpodcast.